You know, sometimes you just want to keep worshiping. Yes. You just want to keep going. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for that when we come before you, when, when we're in your presence before your throne. I thank you that we are transformed from glory to glory as we just behold you. We thank you, Father, that the, the easiest thing to, cha- to, to affect change is just to be with you. How can you not become more like the Father when you spend time with the Father? Oh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because we spend time with you. We just become like you. We begin to act like you act and think like you think and expect like you expect. And so we just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series on the Holy Spirit. And I hope you enjoyed... Pastor Robin and Wendy last week, you know, so great just to, just to listen to the stories and the miracles. And, you know, whenever I find, like, people giving me opposition about what we've been teaching about for the last, you know, eight, nine weeks, it's like, you can't convince me otherwise because we've lived it. You know, it's like trying to tell a fish that water doesn't exist. You can say what you want, but I'm just going to keep swimming. You know, and that's the thing with, the, with miracles and believing God and expecting to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He said, taste and see. Not taste and say, no, that doesn't happen. No, no, he said, over hearts, expect. And so this morning, as, as we, we continue on in this, the Holy Spirit, you know, as you, as you learn to develop a greater relationship with the Holy Spirit, you find things happening just on accident. You know, we often think that it's so hard to walk in miracles, and no, they're just a byproduct of you being sons and daughters of God. You know, as a believer, that's what they call Christians, right? Believers, the easiest thing you do is believe. It's actually contrary to your nature to not believe. To stand in unbelief is contrary to your nature. You've got to think about it. Even the word Christian means you are a Christ-bearer. How can you not walk in the supernatural? Then wherever you go, Christ goes with you. He jumped on the inside of you. You know, it's interesting, a friend of ours, Jim Hockaday, has told this story many times, and I know he's told it here in years past, but uh, he got invited to go to a meeting of a bunch of Mensa members, so like the the brightest of the bright people, and these were Christians. And they did a Bible study, and they said, would would you like to come and see how the the super intelligent view things that God has said? And as he was there, they're like, do you want to know when you read the language what that means to us? It's like when he says that he's going to come and make his home in you and live in you, do you know what that means? It means he unzips you, he takes everything else out of you, and he jumps in you, and he zips himself back up. There's more of him in you than there's you in you. And so when we talk about the word supernatural, I don't even like that word because it's not supernatural, because it's natural to you as believers, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, as Paul said to the Colossians, you've been translated or taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light, the, the kingdom of the Son, the Son of His love. And so we find ourselves just accidentally falling into things as we've just fostered a relationship. Because I know uh, as, a, as a father, when I'm with my kids, I hear them talking and it's like, I, I was, uh, Robin and I were talking about uh, Christmas gifts for this year and we're like, well, what do you think we should get this one? And I said, well, you know what? The other day he was at the church with me, we were doing some stuff and he just said, I would like this. And so I was present with him, his father. It's easy. I know what he wants. And so I know exactly how to put a smile on his face on Christmas morning. I'll get him what I know he wants. And the reason why I know he wants it is because I was present. And the reason why my expectations of him are is because he's present with me. And so as we're living out of our relationship with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit and fostering that relationship with the Holy Spirit, you just accidentally into things. You know, this week I had to take a moment and step back and just rem- and say, God, thank you for something that I didn't even realize that was until after the fact. Um, th- around this time of year, 
A couple years ago, uh, Robin and I upgraded our phones on Black Friday because, you know, they always have those, those big deals and they, I think at the time they were giving away, like, for everyone that signed up, you got a free iPad with it. And so we got a lot of stuff, but that also meant that our renewal time now a few years later is on Black Friday. And so a few weeks ago, we started to prepare, okay, we're going to be upgrading. We talked with the store, like, you know, this is what we're wanting. We want to make sure that you have it. And then not, I, I just, he was like, okay, yeah, Black Friday, we'll be in to do it. And without realizing it, I completely booked up my entire day that day. My morning was full. I had been asked to speak online at a conference in the afternoon. And, and I was like, God, I just said, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get in there to do this. And it was just a, a simple thought, a simple expression. And then I forgot about it. And so as, as it was approaching, I got a call on Monday night. So if Black Friday was on the Friday that just passed on Monday, they, I get a call and they're like, um, your phones have arrived. We know they're coming in on Black Friday. Why don't you just come in on Tuesday and we'll give you the same deals? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And I went and did it. And it wasn't until like a couple days later, I remembered what I said. And it was just like, God was listening. And he orchestrated things on my behalf just because I'm his kid. And I had to stop and say, thank you, God. It wasn't something like, I'm believing that this is going to get changed because I don't know. It was just a simple expression of, I don't know when I'm going to have time to do this, God. And he says, okay, I'll work it out for you. He just does that. And so as we foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, it's like you just stumble into things that you couldn't do on your own. And those are the best ones. When you know that it wasn't you, it had to be God. And you can't help but just say, glory to you, God. I say thank you. When God moves in your life, oh, thank you. Thank you. It brings glory back to him. And so up until this point, we had Pastor Robin and Wendy last week who were talking about the things they'd experienced and stirring you up in your expectancy. And before that, we were talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how Paul said, these are ways that you can expect that God's going to move in your life. You know, you're, you're a believer. He doesn't want you to be ignorant of these things. He said, you know, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And when we preach about things like that, you get excited and they're like, oh yeah, I like this. But you know, there's other aspects of the Holy Spirit that are actually even more supernatural, more exciting, but we don't view them that way. And so this morning I want to talk about an aspect of the Holy Spirit that people don't like to hear. Oh, come on. Don't get your guards up. Because the things that we often don't want to hear are the very things that we need to hear. You know, the things that we don't want to do often bear the most fruit. When he's putting a little pressure on you saying, like, you should do this, because the miracle's on the other side of the obedience. Not on the other side, the side of staying where you are as you've always been. And we find that with Christians. You can meet people who have been Christians for 60 years and they're exactly the same as they were when they got born again because they've never let the Holy Spirit work with them. Take away and prune those things that are unnecessary and streamline them for fruitfulness. And so I want to jump back to John chapter 14. And so we were in John 14 like 20 weeks ago, way back when we started. And just a few verses before where we just talked about, we find in John 13, 14 verse 13, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And people like to take those two verses and other verses later on. Oh yeah, I can ask God whatever I want and he's going to do it. Um, no, this is, a, this is a chapter of relationship. This is a chapter that talks about both of you back and forth, communing together. And you know, when you know the Father, it's hard to ask amiss. When you know the heart of the Father, you don't ask in selfish ambition. You don't ask in greed. You ask out of the heart of the Father because you know the heart of the Father. And that's why we all we have to balance it based upon what John said in 1 John. He said, if you ask anything according to my will, know that I hear you and that if I hear you, it's done. How do you know what the Father's will is? Well, we have His Word, but you can also learn His heart as you spend time with Him through the Holy Spirit. 
We read verses like this and they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, that's your side of the, uh, his side of the relationship. But the next verse says, but if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then people go, I don't like the sound of that. I want to do what I want to do. And you know, in church, you sing songs like it's all about you. Jesus, but really we mean oh, only for this next 50 minutes until I get home and then I take up everything I want to do for the rest of my week. Okay, come on, come on. But we, we say things and we have language that expresses, God, you're the cornerstone of my life. I only want what you want as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. As long as it doesn't come with a little bit of ask for things that I don't want to do. And so this, and when we look at the relationship aspects of John 14, 15, and 16, there's going to be times where he's going to say, like I would as a father to my child, that attitude sucks. You need to change it. I don't want you doing that anymore because that takes you nowhere good. That's the heart of a father, right? We train our children up in the way that they should go, and our Heavenly Father is no different. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will mold you and shape you if you have a willing heart for it. And He will never do a work in you that you don't want Him to do. But it doesn't mean that He doesn't want to do a work in you. So he goes on in verse 16, the familiar parts that we've talked about already. I will pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Everybody say that. I know him. Don't ever find, let the words come across your mouth. I just don't know what he wants me to do. I just don't know how he moves. Go ahead and align your agreement with what Jesus said. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, this verse usually just gets glossed over and not looked, but we have to understand the implications of what he's saying. What is an orphan? An orphan is someone who is alone. You're no longer alone. So next time you have those feelings, nobody loves me, nobody cares, I'm all alone. There's nobody here beside me. I'm not alone. You can never be alone. Even in your most secluded place that you'll ever find, you'll never be alone again. An orphan is alone. They have no one. You're not an orphan. You've been adopted into the family of God. And it says we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption, which causes us to cry out, Abba, We've received the spirit of adoption. God looked down and said, I want them. You have been chosen because you are loved. You have been chosen because he's got a plan and a purpose for you. You are known. An orphan has no one to care for them. But you have a God who cares for you. An orphan has no one to provide for them. You are not an orphan. God provides for his kids. He's not a delinquent father. Why should we look at earthly fathers and say, oh, look how good they're raising their kids and providing for their kids, and then think that our God in heaven would do this? He provides for his kids. Orphans have no one to trust them or to teach them. You have a father who will teach you. Which implies that there's things that you don't know that you need to know. And orphans have no one to encourage them. But my goodness, on your darkest day, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus called the Comforter, will come to you. He will strengthen your heart. He'll speak the things that you need to hear that will get you to stand back up and say, nope, that's not me. I will not sit in that pit. I will not draw back. I'm going forward. And so he says, you are not an orphan. He said, I'm coming to you. You know, in the King James, that word orphan, which is orphanos in the Greek, means comfortless. You are not without comfort. He has come to you. 
If we drop down to verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. He will teach you all things, which, as I said, implies that you don't know all the things. It's, it's amazing, you know, we've, we've all met a teenager, right? We've all been a teenager who thinks they know everything. They know more than their parent. They know that you can't teach me anything, mama. I'm going to do what I want because I know more than I've dated, you know. Man, things stopped being that way 30 years ago. You know, every parent can relate to that and every person can relate to that because you've thought it. And I think there's a lot of Christians that have become those sourpuss teenagers saying, nah, I don't need that. I don't need to do that. But what does it do with a, teen with a teacher? A teacher will walk through the process of instructing you in the things that you need to know, and they will teach you where you're at. When you were in grade one, you learned one plus one, right? And then it became two times two. And then you got 200 divided by 2. And then you got x plus y equals 2. And then it went so on and so on. And as you progressed, he taught you more. The teacher taught you more. And how you started doing things isn't always the same way you're now doing them now with doing long division or calculus or geometry or physics. You know, there's a progression to the instructions. And the same way as the children of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will teach us where we're at to take us to where we're going. And so we need to have the idea that there's perpetual movement in my relationship with the Father. Where I am today is not where I'll end up, and where I am today is not where I am yesterday. I'm going forward. I'm moving forward. And he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I think we really need to read that verse almost every day in the environment we live in in this world. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Don't let your heart hold. Which means you have control over whether or not you're not in peace. Let. He didn't say, I will not let. He's talking to you. He said, you, you let not your heart be troubled. You know, when, you, when you're a child things can scare you that are irrational fears, right? You know, just an example, I wasn't planning on sharing this story. The other night, Montgomery went to bed and he had a, a burnt out glow stick in his hand and I, I grabbed it and I said, no, you can't go to bed with that and I took it upstairs and I was going to throw it out and while I was dealing with the other boys, he snuck upstairs, he got the glow stick and he took it to bed with him. <clears throat> and a few minutes into bed, there's still commotion in the bedroom, and we all of a sudden hear him just screaming like bloody murder, like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And he comes out, and he's holding his eye, and, you know, Harrison was being a little bit of a ruckus that night, and I was like, Harrison, what did you do to your brother? And he's like, I didn't touch him. I didn't do anything. And what he had done is he had, he had bit through the glow stick and the liquid splashed into his eye and it burned his eye. And so we rushed him upstairs and we were, we were running his head under the water and washing out his eye. And he's saying, he's going, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I'm like, it's okay, gummy. You're not going to die. But as a child, he's in this, it's not a life or death situation. It's just, we just need to out. But the irrational fear of a child blows things out of proportion. The fear of, of immature Christians blows things out of proportion in the same way. That's why he says, let not your heart be troubled. And so Augustine said way, way, way back, hundreds of years ago, he said, O Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter thy cheerful beams. He said he will enlighten. The Holy Spirit will enlighten the inside and he will scatter cheerful beams of joy. Hallelujah. So, we've talked a lot about John 14 in this series and John 16. But sandwiched in between those two chapters is John chapter 15, which by and large so many people like to completely ignore because it says some things that are a little uncomfortable. And so we take the verses that make us happy and ignore the rest of them. 
But that's for a mature person, right? Ignoring things doesn't promote growth. Facing them and understanding them does. And so in verse 1 of John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Why would Jesus all of a sudden start talking like this in the midst of the conversation he was having from John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? You have to understand those chapters are spoken in motion. Jesus is moving from the Last Supper, where he's just said to Judas, do what you got to do. He's told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the, crow, the, the, the rooster crows. This is in motion as he's heading to the garden to pray. And where he, in that garden, he says, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so they're walking through the garden. The last verse of chapter 14 says, let, let us arise and go from here. And then 15 starts, I am the true vine. Why? Because they're walking through the garden. There's vines. This is an object lesson that Jesus was using. Because I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so this is talking about the streamlining job of the Holy Spirit. This is the perfecting job. When, when we choose not to live out of our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, we are ourselves being pulled out. But when we, when we stand in that relationship with God and we begin to bear fruit, he's like, oh, there's someone who's willing to walk through the process and let me pull out the unnecessary things. Let's prune those things because you've bore fruit before. Let's bear more fruit. And we've got to understand that he's not talking about salvation here. Because the next verse he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he's not talking about God removing you from the kingdom, but what you reap on this earth is a result of what you're willing to receive from the Father and let flow through you to the situations of your life. And so someone who chooses not to receive from the ultimate source of life finds himself dry and withered. And that's what we find in, if we get down to verse 7. He says, when you're disconnected, you dry. And you pick up the dry sticks and you throw them in the fire. Why? Because they're use, not useful for anything. And so there's a, there's a place that we can step into in our relationship, our kingdom business on this earth, where we can be fruitful. Or we can choose to be unfruitful. And so Jesus says after that, he says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch can't bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so Jesus is saying when you stay connected to the source, things flow to it. You know, if you think about the idea of a vine, does, does the, the branch have to say, I really want to bear fruit, I really want to bear fruit, I really want to bear fruit. Oh, come on, just a little bit of a bud, and now just a little bit of a fruit. Oh, I really want some grapes on here, I really want some figs on here. No, the branch just bears fruit when it's in its natural environment, which is connected to the vine. When you're in your natural environment of being connected to the Father, you just become fruitful. We often talk about the fruits of the Spirit, which we'll probably talk about next week or the week after. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit in a way that, oh, I must be loving or I must be faithful or I must be gentle. But you realize fruit just grows when the environment is right. The fruits of the Spirit just come out of a person connected to the vine. Jesus said, I am vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so God's intentions for you and for I is to bear much fruit. There's a difference there that we need to catch. He didn't say just fruit. He said, I want you to bear much fruit. And so he wants you to step in and start bearing fruit and you taste and see and like that's better than not bearing fruit, right? 
The more you step into it, the more you want to be in it. The more you come before the Father and just spend time in His presence, the more you want to be there. The more you open your heart, the more you'll want to open your heart. You'll lose the boundaries that we set up. He doesn't put up boundaries in our lives, but we put up walls, and as we get to know Him more and more, we start kicking those walls down. As Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Another translation says that he provokes the desire within you so that you want to do what he wants to do. And so he'll stir up that desire, but he'll never override your desire to not want to. That's why when we want to become mature as Christians, it all doesn't stand on God's shoulders. He always stands there, arms open, But it stands on our side to say, yeah, God, I'd rather have more of you than more of this world. The chapter before this, Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. So based out of the love relationship between you and God, he wants you to abound more in knowledge and discernment, understanding, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense, until the day of Christ. That's an interesting statement there because I've met lots of people who thrive on living in offense. Whether that is the offense that people have caused them or consistently stepping from one situation where they're offending everyone around them because they've learned to live out of the fruit of offense rather than the fruit of sincerity and excellence. And so he goes on in the next verse, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This should not be surprising to us that the fruits of righteousness should be growing in our lives. Why shouldn't that be a surprise? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That righteousness is right standing before God. That is you being justified in Christ. I love the word justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And so when the fruits of righteousness begin to flow through you, it's because you understand your righteous nature. It's nothing that you did to obtain it. It's what He provided on your behalf. He became all of your sin so that you might become all of His righteousness. And so what are you righteous? What happens when you live out of righteousness? Fruits of righteousness flow. James chapter 3 says, uh, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. These are fruits that grow out of us when we live out of God. You find yourself living more at peace rather than running from upset situation to upset situation. You find yourself more gentle and willing to yield. What does that mean, willing to yield? You know, there's situations that it's not even worth your time to fight and just say, this isn't worth my time. You have a good life. I'm going to live out of God. Instead of saying, no, I have to prove you right. You know, being right is not always being good. You know what is right, right? Some people just won't listen. And so it comes as we mature as Christians, you're willing to say, that's great, thanks. I'm just going to go ahead and bear fruit. I won't let my fruit die on the vine because you want to get me out of peace. Full of mercy, good fruits. But he goes on to the next verse and he says, Now the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, why is it important to trim the vine? You look and you see the things that are not producing. And you take them out of the way so that which is producing can produce more. We do this in the natural. You know, in my house, 
We've been in it probably about four years now. And ever since we moved in, uh, we had a front hedge in front of our house that looked real ratty. There was dead branches everywhere sticking out of it. Every year there wasn't many leaves. And I didn't even know that it actually was a Siberian cranberry tree because there was no berries ever on it. And so I'll just tell off on Rob. I got Rob to come and he trimmed my bushes this year and he took out all the dead pieces. And you know what amazing thing happened this year? Leaves grew. (laughs) And you know what else happened? Berries showed up. And I was like, there's berries on there? So I took a picture and it's like, yeah, this is a cranberry bush. You know, it's amazing what happens when you take the necessary stuff out. When you take the things that are obstructing it from the sun. It's withered. It's dead. It's not helpful and it definitely doesn't look good. So you take it out. And the bush gets healthier. And it begins to produce. All of us have dead branches in our lives from our former life in the world. Things that that don't need to be driving our lives anymore. You know what we let God do? Take that branch out. Toss it in the fire. You know, it's not always pleasant at the moment. There's things, that, ways of thinking that we've, we've conditioned ourselves to live in that, yeah, might be a process to step over. You know, a worrier. It can be hard to shift that mentality away. But you know what you do? You remind yourself daily. A thousand times a day, nope, I will not be troubled. I will not let my heart be moved away from peace. And it takes a process. But you know what happens as you continue and you move on with it? The grace of God is there. And what first started as a struggle at the first is no longer a struggle. And then you find yourself like, I haven't worried in a week. We all have areas like that. Worry is just an easy one to pick on. But as we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and just pull those unnecessary things out, we grow and we become fruitful. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. This is a good verse for us as Christians to remind ourselves. Yes, you can do what you want, but it's not necessarily going to benefit your life. And he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now think about that in contrast to the series we're in. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you'll receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Which power do you want to be brought under? The power of the Holy Spirit or the power of our hurts and insecurities and shortcomings and attitudes and whatever you want to put in that category? Which power do you want to submit yourself under? So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, outside of it. He says, For every for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. What is this talking about? This is the father-child relationship of instruction, direction, and correction. And he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. So what he's saying is God wants to work with each and every one of us, but we can withdraw from that process and the position is illegitimate. But he says, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Saying if we submitted our own parents who instructed us and guided us and corrected us, how much more should we be willing to submit ourselves under God? And he says, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Come on, stick with me for just another moment. He says, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. And we can all say a big hearty amen to that. When we're going through the process, it doesn't seem pleasant. 
but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when you walk through the process, the fruits of righteousness flow. You know, I think about it, we have, we have this idea that this, this means God beats his kids. No, he's not a corrupt father. He's not like an earthly father with evil intentions. The word chastening means the whole training and education of children, whether it be instruction, education, or correction. You, you want to see this in a natural application? Just this week, one of my kids, I had asked them to do something, and I got a whole big, I don't want to do that, can't do that, it's just too hard, I'm never going to be able to do that. Do you know what chastening looked like in that situation? I picked them up, I held them in my arms, I looked them in the face, I wiped off the tears, and I said, in this life, there will be hard things that we have to do you're not gonna want to do them in the moment but i want you to do the hard things because if you do the hard things that others won't you'll walk in things that others can't now i want you to go downstairs and this is how you should do it completely changed the whole context of the interaction we were having and they went down and did it and then we had to have that same conversation four more times that week <laughs> but that's the nature of children we walk the process through he's not talking about God beating you or causing you harm he's talking about a, a father dealing with his children in a way that builds their heart that causes love to flow and growth to happen. And so part of the work of the Holy Spirit, our relationship with Him, is to perfect us, to make us better on this. You can't get any better spiritually. You are already, as Paul said to the Colossians, you're complete in Him. But in your natural interactions and the fruitfulness of the kingdom here on this earth, he will perfect you. He will make you better. Hebrews 10, chapter, verse 14 says, For if by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And this seems like a contradiction. He says, I've perfected you, but you're now being sanctified. Meaning from a spiritual contest, you're as good as you're ever going to get. But as a natural person, you can do better. Come on, you can do better. Jordan, you can do better. Come on, we'll take the pressure off of you guys. Verse 15, he says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. This is about taking the principles of the kingdom and not let them be a spiritual reality, but letting them be something that we live out of our heart to. That they're at the front of our mind rather than, what, what did Pastor Jordan say? No, the Holy Spirit will write them on your minds so that you can know them and you can use them and you can do them and you can live in the fruits of righteousness. And he adds, like we said, we're not talking about this is not about salvation. This is about living out of the kingdom on this earth. He says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You can't get any more forgiven than you are right now. But you can learn to live more sanctified on this earth, setting different areas of your life aside to say, God, here, I give it to you. You can use it. He says, now where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. The blood of Jesus was enough. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us, so this is now what he's telling us to do, let us draw near with a true heart, 
the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's saying, go ahead and let's wash off that wrong thinking. Let's get, get rid of that living world lives because we wash those things away. We let ourselves be washed with pure water, the word. And he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to it, which means that there's going to be times when you're going to say, I want to let go. I don't want to do this anymore. And you walk through the process, you get on the other side and you say, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I let the Holy Spirit work in me and perfect in me. And he says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Oh, come on, I love that. Stirring love and good works up in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Letting love be seen in this world. I love what Matthew, I think, chapter 6 says. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works in you and glorify the Father. So he says, let us consider one another, stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What is he saying? He's not actually really talking about church here. He's talking about together with the brethren because when you're uh, in, in with other people who are in the process, you see people who have gone further and you're like, okay, it's fine. I can keep going. I'm going to keep going. And we stir each other and say, yeah, maybe it, doesn't, it didn't feel good to have to make that decision and say, no, I won't do it. When you look on the other side, you're like, okay, they did it, I can. Even more as we see the day approaching. Okay, let's get back to John chapter 15. Come on, we're coming in for a landing in a moment. John chapter 15, and I want, to, I want to look at it now out of the Passion Translation, which is a great rendering of this verse, or these verses. In cha- verse 1 in the Passion Translation, it says, I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. Verse 2, he cares for the branches connected to me. By lifting up and propping up the fruitless branches. Let's just look at that picture for a second. So when it seems in the King James, when we look at it, that he just takes it and he cuts it off and he burns it. Do you know what his first response is, though? He takes the ones that aren't fruitful and he tries propping them up. He cares for them. He revisits them and says, hey, I've got more for you. You don't have to live like this. You're dried out, you're weathered, the world has worn on you. You don't have to be like this. And he lifts them up and he revisits it again. And it says, and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. And he says, I've spoken to you, you have have already cleansed you. So, you must remain in life union with me. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. What did he say? He said, as you try to bear fruit, You'll stream with fruitfulness? No, he said, as you live in your union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. It says, if a person separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the iron. And let, let me just tell you, when you're separated from, the God, from God, you wear out, you wither up. And when the trials of life come, you burn. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about your experience here on earth. There will be things that you need to be soaked in the blood of the silver. You need to let his washing of the water of the word flow over you so that when fire comes, you're not burned. He says, but if you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. 
as I said when we were talking to verse 14, the relationship is at work here. You ask because you know the Father, and the Father knows you. You know the Father's heart, and your heart has becoming His heart. And he says, when, you're, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you will demonstrate that you are mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. He says, and if you keep my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continually live nourished and empowered by His love. Jesus just revealed a huge secret about His life on this earth. He's not telling you to do something that He didn't do while He was here. He said, Father told me to do this, so I did it. You need to live nourished by the love of God just as I needed to be nourished by the love of God. What did that look like in the life of Jesus? How many times did you see him and he separated himself off to the side to pray? He got alone to recharge his relationship so that when he came back to the crowd, he wasn't speaking from a piece of place of weakness or tiredness. He was charged up from his relationship. Verse 11, and we'll end with this. He says, My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing godness. Let's think about that. Jesus said, The joy that has flooded my heart, I want that same joy in you. I want that same life-giving, life-nourishing relationship to be on the inside of you. And so when we talk about this side of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make us want to shout and run, but this will produce more fruit in your life than us talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because they just flow as you're with the Father. When you desire spiritual gifts, the first thing that Paul said was pursue love. Who's love? God is love. So, Father, we, we thank you. We know that not everything that, that, that we read is like exciting in the moment, but we know that when we listen to what you have said, we find ourselves in places that we couldn't get to on our own. When, when we let you into our hearts and we let you work with us, we thank you, Father, that we find ourselves in places of joy that the world doesn't have to offer. And we know that you said that the Holy Spirit of giving was not as the world gives. And so, Father, we just thank you. And we ask for that working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lead us in your paths and in your directions. We want to be transformed in your love. We want to live in your fruitfulness. And so we want our lives. Maybe you're in this place or you're watching via the internet. The first step in all of this is you got to step into the kingdom. Jesus said that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All, all he's asking is saying, turn your heart towards me. Let me come into your life. Get rid of everything else and let me fill it. So let's pray with everyone this morning. Father, I ask for Jesus. I receive him into my life right now. I call you my Lord. I turn from everything else. This world has nothing for me. I want all of you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to get some resources into your hands. If you're watching us via the internet, we would love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. But guys, not everything that the soldier does in the moment seems exciting when you stand on the other side of it, you say, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Pastor Robin. Praise God. Bear fruit. Amen. Amen. It is offering time. I'm going to put you on.
come give that testimony you gave me this morning. Um, Ace was gathering up his tithe money to give or doing some firewood and I said, you need to bring me 60 cents. And he said, well, can I give a dollar? I said, absolutely. When you give God more than your tithe, that's offering. And when you give to God, he's just going to get it back to you. Good measure. And he's like, Will it just show up in my piggy bank? I said, I don't know how I'll get it to you. He, you know, it could come through someone else. It could come from something in the mail. Like, God will get it to you. So he, he goes a few minutes later to Annie. Annie was getting her tithe ready. And he says, Annie, you should give God more than what you're supposed to. Because you know what? He will get it back to you. He'll give money. She's like, okay, you know. She, okay, Ace. And he just was so excited. Let's give with a with the heart of a child, amen. Thanks, Jess. So you know we, we don't do this for you to you know to make you give. We just do this to get, get have you get, amen. Because that's the way our Father is. You do the same thing with your children, right? You know exceedingly. But if you were here last week and, and uh, Pastor Wendy and I shared about just some past things that happened and, and God, how God blessed us and so on. You know that's that's out of just out of that we're going we're to say is something that uh, uh, we came up with a little while ago. And uh, every one of these results of giving has happened in our lives, in life, and it can happen in yours. Amen? Because God's done respect your persons. If you'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. Amen? So as, as we say this, just keep it in mind what's, happened, what's being said here. And the first one is you know, souls and morsels, and that's the reason giving and forgetting is to be a blessing blessed to be a blessing amen okay so let's say this together as i tithe and give offerings i'm believing the lord for souls jobs and better jobs raises and bonuses benefits sales and commissions state favorable settlements estates and inheritance interest and income rebates and returns discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decreased, bills paid off, blessing and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's an exciting life to live when God is your source. Amen? Amen. So there's a, there's a couple ways you can give. There's envelopes in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can give at yourchurch.ca um, uh, backwards slash give. And we appreciate all that. And uh, we're moving forward. Amen? Amen. You are blessed.